Kenton is an amazing speaker. You're going to be glad that you came. He's going to speak on the power of gratitude. Anybody need to know a little bit about gratitude? Give it up for Kenton. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Brad is one of my favorite people in the world. I just love him so much. He's so sincere. He's sometimes a little too serious, though, don't you think? He's like, you go, can't you smile more? But he really is. Uh, and I love his learning heart, and I love his love for you. He talks about you all the time. He thinks about you. Uh, it is so exciting to see that. And I love that you're here today because I think of all the weekends of the whole year, this Sunday is the most Sunday, most Sunday, most important Sunday to be in church. Why? Well, because it's your last sane moment. Think about it. What are you going to do? I mean, you can feel the energy starting to build towards the holidays already. Start ramping up. But on Thursday, you're going to stop for a moment, gather with family and friends, and you're going to, you know, have a meal together. And then even more importantly, maybe stop and say what you're grateful for. And there'll be a moment of peace, and the world will be right. And then that night, like at 12 o'clock or the next day, which is called Black Friday, it's like a gun goes off, and it's a full sprint, and you're going as fast as you can, right? Have you ever thought about what's going to happen over the next 35 days? This is your last sane moment, because in the next 35 days, you're going to shop more and buy more than you've bought in the last 11 months combined. You're going to decorate your home inside and out. You're going to buy a tree and decorate that. You're going to um, go to more Christmas parties, so you're going to eat more. Then you've got to do all of the year-end work at your business. You've got to close out the year in your own personal life. You've got to close off the year. And if there wasn't enough stress, they're going to strategically release all the kids from school so it to make it better. And then you're going to try to plan a family vacation. And statistics show that in the next 35 days, you're going to reach the highest stress levels that you reach for the whole year. And if you are not careful, you're going to miss Christmas altogether. You're going to be like that car. <laughs> I was a kid, and we turned 16 in my, in my town. You would take, this was when muscle cars were out. We had station wagons. And we'd take these station wagons with these giant motors in it, bias ply tires, and we would just smoke those tires. You, do, you know what power braking is? Some of you, oh, you remember. And so you put your foot on the brake and the gas at the same time, and then just go down the road. But then... My one friend, you know what a neutral drop is? You can't do it in new cars because the transmission won't let you. But in the olden days, you just slam the accelerator down and then just slam it from neutral into drive. And if the transmission held, the tires would just go, smoke it off. But I had a friend, and we were down and we were, uh, where I grew up, and it was literally, he revs the engine, slams it in gear, and the whole transmission fell out of the bottom of the car. And that's what some of you are going to look like before Christmas. You're just going to go, bam, because it's like overwhelming, because it's like, wham. And so, Edith, aren't you glad you're here? Because I'm going to give you the secret to make it through this next 35 days, because right now, right now is your last sane moment. I bet you, you were wishing that you invited some people to church so they could hear this because we're going to talk about it. And so my goal is really simple. I want to get you to memorize one verse in Scripture. So this is the most repeated phrase in all of Scripture. Anybody know the most repeated phrase in all of Scripture? Most repeated phrase 
because you are taught by a fantastic pastor who is brilliant, and he absolutely has taught you the most repeated phrase in the Bible is? Oh, good. You know it. Give, is it up there? And they cheated. Okay, here it is. Read it with me. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. There's two reasons in this verse to give thanks, all right? So you're going to memorize it. So give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Knowing that God is good is the birthplace of joy in your life. And so I'm going to talk more about that. And so you need to understand, birthplace of joy and gratitude is to give thanks to the Lord because he's good. And the second is his faithful love endures forever. This is what builds confidence into our life. So what's the one thing that no one has in Southern California? We'll try that again. What's the one thing that no one has in Southern California? Enough. Enough. We have more. We have more money, more wealth, more possessions. We have more success. We have more toys. But we've proven the age-old axiom, the more you have, the more you want. That's right. And we know why that we want more. The Bible tells us why were people who want more? It's in the very first story in the Bible. God created the world and everything was right. And we lived in loving relationship with God and with each other and ourselves. And literally, we lived in a world of yes. Whatever question you ask of God, the answer was yes. Can I have yes? What about that? Yes, yes, yes. Except for at the very center of the garden, which captures powerfully this truth. What is the most important truth at the very center of your life? There was one tree, and the answer was no. And the reason is, is because God gives us this incredible gift of choice. We got to choose. Am I going to trust God and believe that he's good and he has the best things for me? Or am I not going to trust God and I'm going to go my own way, trust in myself? And that freedom that we had, that choice is a weighty thing. And it has massive consequences. And the consequences are literally life and death. And God told us that don't eat of that tree. If you do, you can go your own way, but you will die. And so there's the, that's where we find ourselves. So Satan came into the garden. Pay attention. What did Satan do? How did he tempt us? How did he tempt people in the garden? First, he lied to him. He says, you can't trust. God's not telling you the truth. Did God really say you can't eat of that tree? Did he say you will die? You won't die. So first of all, to doubt the truthfulness of God. But then the second thing is to doubt the goodness of God. He's saying God's not good. And you know why we know that God's not good? Because God is withholding something from you. Sure, you have all these things that he's giving you, but the one thing that you don't have is the one thing that you need because that one thing that you don't have, it would open your eyes. And then he goes on, not only would it open your eyes, you would be like God. If you had that one thing, that one possession, it would make you complete and powerful and secure and independent. But you, you just, you know, God just wants you to be dependent on himself. And so from the very beginning, what is the central issue for all of our lives? Will we believe that God has given us everything we need and we have enough or are we going to think, no, I just need one more thing. I just need that house or that car. I need that promotion. I need that relationship. I need that honor. I need that accomplishment. 
I need just that one thing. If God was good, he'd give me that one thing. And the promise is, if you got it, you'd be somebody. You would, you would be secure. You would be powerful. You would be in control. And that was the temptation in the garden. And we believed the lie that we didn't have enough. And as a result of our selfishness, our insecurity, we destroyed everything. We destroyed our relationship with God. We destroyed our relationship with each other and even in ourselves. And as a result of it, it led to the broken world that we live in today. We're responsible for the broken world. So the wars, the jealousy, the hatred, racism, sexism, all of the things that destroy us is a part of the death that we experience, all because we believed that we didn't have enough, that all that we have wasn't enough, and we just needed one more thing. So what would happen if you got everything you wanted? I mean, really, what do you think? I mean, don't give me the church answer, but the real answer. What would happen? Because you are the good people, right? Because you're not out there, you know, going to farmer's markets or whatever people do on Sunday or just staying home and be late. You are the good, you are sitting at church. You're doing, you know, the good thing. You're good people. It's not that you want a lot. You just want, exactly. You just want more. So what would happen if you got everything you wanted? Did you know that the Bible tells us what happens to people when they get everything they want? It's in the story of God's people in Genesis and Exodus where they find themselves in slavery. 3,500 years ago, God's people were in slavery and they cried out to God and they said, God, would you deliver us from slavery? If you would just deliver us from slavery, we wouldn't want anything else. We would never need anything else if you would just give us freedom. And so they cried out to God, and God not only gave them their freedom, he delivered them through Moses, but at the same time, he blessed them. And through the Egyptians, it was like he made up for 400 years of slavery, and they came out of Egypt wealthy. But he didn't just give them their freedom and give them wealth. Along with it, he gave them protection and guidance. There's a pillar of fire at night and clouds. So there's protection and guidance. And then God gave him a promise. I'm going to take you to your own land. And so I'm going to give you a hope and a future, and you're going to have your own land. And not only that, two million people that walk out of slavery, God provided water and food for them in the desert, water from a rock and food in the morning, a wafer-like substance that was called manna. So you have a Hebrew word, you know, and that Hebrew word means you don't know? That's a close guess. It actually means, what is it? It goes, manna, what is it? What is it? Because they didn't know. And so manna was this wafer-like substance that they could grind up like flour. And it literally had all of the nutrients and minerals and vitamins that people needed. It was the perfect camping food. And so people enjoyed baked manna, boiled manna, barbecued manna, fried manna. They had manna on a stick, manna burger. They had manna salad. They had Manicotti. <laughs> they had manna, banana, cream pie, all of the provisions. Surely God has given them everything they would. They would be grateful. But you know what God's people did? They complained. I know none of you would complain, but they complained. And they wanted the one thing they didn't have. What's the one thing they didn't have? See, some of you have read your Bibles. They didn't have meat. 
We had meat in Egypt, but if God would give us meat, we don't have meat. And they complained. And God heard it. And God was angry because he couldn't believe his people still wanted more. And so he said to Moses, you tell them, I'm going to give them meat. And not just for one meal and not just for one day and not just for one week. I'm going to give them meat for a whole month. To which Moses said, I'm not going to say that, God, because even you can't deliver meat to two million people out in the middle of the wilderness. But God did. And the next day, he flew in quail. And they had all the meat that they could eat. And some people were so filled with a mindset of scarcity that they thought they'd never have enough. They literally gorged themselves, not just one day, but two days and three days. And some ate so much quail and stuffed themselves, they made themselves sick. And others literally killed themselves because they were afraid they weren't going to have enough, and they just gorged themselves with quail. And this is what the Bible says about that place. Numbers 11.34 says, they ended up calling this place Kibroth Hata'ava, which means graves of the craving. And there they buried the people who craved meat. What would happen if you got everything you wanted? You would die in a grave of craving. But look at what it says in Psalm 106. It says in Psalm 106, they gave, God gave them exactly what they asked for, but along with it, they got an empty heart. What would happen if you got everything you wanted? Okay, it's not a trick question. It's like right up there, see, <laughs> empty heart. Okay, so see, there's big dramatic moment, pause. All you had to do is say empty heart. Should we try it again? What, okay, we'll do the drama again, be a big moment, empty. What would happen if God gave you everything you wanted? You'd end up with an empty heart. An empty heart if you got everything that you wanted. So God's solution is Psalm, you know, the most repeated phrase. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Come on, say it with me. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His easy to remember. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? First, because he is good. That's the birthplace of gratitude. God is good. He's the giver of every good gift. Everything in life isn't good, but God is good, and he's working for the good in your life, and so God is good. It is a powerful truth. God's good. Everything's not good, but God's good, and he's working for good, and so that's the birthplace of joy. His faithful love endures forever. An eternal God can give eternal love, and so even though we blow it, and we make mistakes, and we fall, we don't have to fear because his Faithful love endures forever. And an eternal God giving us eternal love. And so we can give thanks to God and know that one day we'll be at home with him and God will be our father and grace will be the air that we breathe. And there'll be no more sadness and pain. There'll be no more death and loss. And everything that was taken from you in this life will be restored because his faithful love endures forever. So what percentage of people do you think are grateful? Zero, that's, that's a little kind of dark, but okay. <laughs> 50%? The Bible actually tells us what percentage of people are grateful. And here's what's going to be hard on some of you. I'm going to ask you to look up and down your row. And if somebody looks a little bit more grateful than you, <laughs> it's not you. You're not grateful. So, let's, so here's the story. Luke 17 tells the story of 10 guys. 
Ten got, so it's going to be real easy, the percentage, see how this works? Ten, and they were lepers. And in Jesus' day, if you had leprosy, it disfigured your skin and your hands, and you could not be in community. You literally could not show up at church. Uh, you had to go and live with other people that were lepers. And so these people heard about Jesus and that he healed. And so they said, let's just see if we can get Jesus' attention. So Jesus was coming through. And from a distance, they cried out and said, Jesus, would you heal us? Jesus, would you save us? And there's a powerful illustration of how faith works at this moment. Because Jesus said, I will heal you. But what I want you to do is to go to the high priest and show yourself. And somewhere between here and there, you'll be healed. So faith They stepped out, not having the healing, trusting that God would heal. Who heals? Jesus heals. But their faith moves out, and they act on it. So they start to walk away, and somewhere after they move out of Jesus' presence, somewhere along the road, they were healed. Now, we don't know what happens to the other nine, but one of them, you know, is just overwhelmed, and he comes running over the horizon, and he's just screaming, running at Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, thank you, look at my hands, they are clean, look at my face, I, I, thank you, I can connect with my family again, thank you, I don't have to be ostracized, thank you, I get to live in community with other people, thank you, thank you, thank you, he throws himself at Jesus' feet and says, thank you for what you've given to me, you've given me a fresh start, a new beginning, thank you, thank you, thank you. And while he's yelling, thank you, Jesus says, weren't there 10? What happened to the other nine? What would it take? Look at what Jesus says. What would it take for the other nine to say thank you and give glory to God? What would it take? If a leper healed, isn't enough for them to say thank you? And that's the question I want you to answer today. What would it take for you to say thank you and to give glory to God? Because if the answer is one more thing, something else, you will never be grateful. So what percentage of people are grateful? 10%. So look down the row. If somebody looks a little bit more grateful than you, nah, not you. Okay, so then the question is, what would it mean for you to build a grateful heart. So I'm going to talk to you from the Bible what it means to be a grateful heart. Is that so exciting? Don't you wish you would have invited a couple of your friends that aren't very grateful to church today? I mean, mean, really, there's some grumpy people in your life. And think, if you would have invited them, we could have changed the whole Inland Empire if you could have got a few of those grumpy people here and say, so here's what it is. Okay, this is amazing. It's amazing. You're going to be, you ready for this? Okay, How do you build a grateful heart? Do you know what the password into God's presence is? Psalm 100. Y'all know, sorry. We enter his gates with literally the password into God's presence is saying, thank you. It's just saying, thank you. You know, the most valuable things in your life are protected by a password, right? And they're insulated. And the key to a good password is that it has to be memorable, but not predictable. And God's presence is the most valuable thing in the universe. And the, the, literally, the password into God's presence is everybody, again, the dramatic moments. You just say, thank you. The password into God's presence is Thank you. That's literally the message translation of Psalm 100, where it says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name because his 
The Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. Psalm 100. So when you say thank you, it literally ushers you into the presence of God. That does not mean that thank you is a magic word. If you say thank you and it's meaningless and you don't think of it, that doesn't matter. But if you stop and reflect and you think about what is it that you are grateful for, it is life-changing. And we know that it is because parents teach all of their children to say thank you. I remember when I was a kid in junior high, I wanted a basketball And my aunt gave me what appeared to be a basketball. It was round. And so I'm opening it up thinking, this is so cool. And I opened it up, and it was a globe. And before I could say, what kind of a stupid gift is a globe? (laughs) My mom grabbed me by the back of the neck and said, what do you say? And I said, because that's what thankful people say. They say, thank you. So we're going to practice it right now. Is this so exciting? Okay, so let's just say it. So when you eat something and it tastes really good and you think, you know, God didn't have to give me taste. You know, he could have made everything taste like dirt, but he didn't. He made it taste good. You can't help but say, with a little more alacrity. Come on, play with me. So you want to do something and your body reacts like you want to get up, you want to walk, and you can do because it does not true with anyone. You say, When you read a book or read an article and you realize my mind's working or you're in a conversation with someone and you go, my mind works because a lot of people's brains aren't working. You say, good. When you go to work and you're able to accomplish things, you say, come on with a little more alacrity. You see the sun rise in the morning. You see the sun set and you realize it's just a gift from God. Every day is a gift from God to you. You can't help but say, Your heart beats 10,000 times or 100,000 times a day without you thinking about it. You say, you "You don't have to live in Wisconsin. So you say, that's right. You say, thank you. All right. Because the leading spiritual indicator, which way your life is going? Am I growing and moving towards God or am I moving away from God? What is the leading indicator? Thankfulness. Look at what it says in Romans 121. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or give him thanks. And they began to think, see what it is? They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him or give him thanks. And look at what happens when we don't give God thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. When we complain... We move away from God, and our minds become dark and confused. So let's just have a moment of honesty. How many of you have complained in the last week? Wait, wait, I'll get you all in a second. So we'll just do a mass confession at the end of it. So remember, when you complain, your mind is dark and confused. How many of you have complained about money, markets, or the government? You've complained about your weight or your in-laws or your in-laws' money or weight. You've complained <laughs> about traffic or about the weather. You've complained about your spouse that you have or don't have. You've complained about your children that you have or don't have. You've complained about opportunities. You've complained about your house, about your car. You've complained about your boss. How many of you have complained in the last week? Mass confession here. Come on, get them up. And if you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. And so, (laughs) now here's the truth. If you complain, literally, you are moving closer to hell and you smell like smoke. When you are grateful, you move closer to God. And when you complain, you bring darkness and confusion into your family, your community, your workplace, to the church, and to the world. 
I love it when studies show what the Bible has said all along. Harvard did this massive study on thankfulness. And you'll love it because it just says what the Bible says over and again. And first of all, they had to determine what a grateful person was. So you don't get to decide. They researched it, Harvard, big, long study. Here's what gratitude is. So I don't care what your opinion is. This is grateful. Grateful, here's the line. Grateful people on a daily basis. So it's not two times a week, three times regularly. It's got to be five times or more. On a daily basis, sit down and write a list of at least six to 10 things for which they're grateful. And then twice in the day, they actually stay, say out loud what made their list. That's the line. So grateful. So quiz, you got it? So you're an overachiever, and you write a list of 20 things for which you're grateful. Are you a grateful person? No! <laughs> the line is this. Here's the line. Daily, a list of at least six things for which you're grateful, and you have to share it twice a day. That's a grateful. Now, that's what grateful is, okay? So there's the deal because I'm going to challenge you to do that for the next 35 days. That's what's going to save your soul, is the discipline of gratitude. Here's what they find out. Why would you want to be this? They found out when you're grateful as a lifestyle, you do that. You're a grateful person. It re literally reprograms your brain. You're more creative, energetic. You're more optimistic, more socially connected. You earn more money over your lifetime. You're more forgiving. You're more generous, more joyful, and you're better looking. The last one I totally made up, but I believe it. But the Bible says, in addition to all of that, you literally enter into God's presence. So even though the studies show the magnitude of uh, the benefits of gratitude, guys, guys, pay attention, it's harder for guys. Watch this. Guys, say thank you. See, like a lot of you couldn't even get there. You're like, I I'm not going to do that, okay? You're going to hurt me. And I'll tell you why. They study, they go, guys don't like saying thank you because it makes them feel indebted, obligated, and anxious, okay? Just to say it. It's like, oh my gosh, you're going to try to get your, it's offering time. You're going to get into my wallet. No, I'm not going to say thank you. And so we just back away. But here's the best news, guys. While it takes more courage for guys to be grateful, this is why you want to be grateful. You experience an even greater return than women do. So you get a greater return in creativity, energetic, optimistic, earn more, all of the benefits of it. So we get more. The study, they went back to it during the pandemic, and they found out that people who practice gratitude, what's gratitude? Daily, six things, twice a day share it. People who did that, it was a healing force, and it reduced anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. That's why it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, to be grateful. And so in 2 Chronicles 20, there's a great story where God wanted his people to understand the power of gratitude. God's people were faced with an overwhelming army. And so he says, this is what I want you to do to understand the power of gratitude. I want you to put out in front of your army the people who are willing to sing praises and give thanks to me in front of the army, and you're going to see the power of thanksgiving. And so Jehoshaphat was the king, literally in front of his army. They're moving towards an overwhelming force, and the people in front were just giving thanks to God because he is good, and his faithful love endures forever. And literally, their gratitude conquered an army and defeated the dark.
And over this next season, the next 35 days, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of pain and sadness, a lot of confusion. There'll be a lot on the news, interpersonal relationships. It's a very confusing time. And the only thing that can defeat the darkness in your life is the light of gratitude. And that's why over and over again in the Bible, God says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So I want to give you a definition of thankfulness. It's a working definition. I think it's so clever because it's mine. But here's what I think thankfulness is. Thankfulness is wanting what you have. That's what it is. Just boil down. Thankfulness is simply wanting what you have. God is a good giver. He's the giver of every good thing. So you look at what you have and you want what you have because God has given it to you. And it's so different from the world's message, isn't it? What's the world's message? More. You need more. You deserve more. Look at your car. It could be better. It should be better. Look at your house. You deserve better. Look at your kids. You really deserve better. So, you know, you go, so, you know, all of these things. And so what we're going to do is we're going to practice gratitude. And so I'm just going to have you say, I want, and then fill in the blank what I have. It couldn't be better. Will you do that with me? It won't hurt you. It'll be good for you. Some of you, I'm looking at your faces. Really, you need this, all right? So first one is you're going to say, I want my car. It couldn't be better, all right? So you're going to walk out to the parking lot, and you're going to see your car. And ironically, it's going to be parked right next to the car of your dreams. And your car is going to be looking like it's tired on its tires with its tongue hanging out. And there's some kind of liquid dropping off the bottom of your car. And you're going to see all these dings and scratches on your car. But you're going to grab the handle of your car with courage and say... I love my car. It couldn't be better. You're going to go home to your house or your apartment, and you're going to look at your home, your apartment, the one that God's given you that has provided you shelter, and you're going to say, home's the answer. I love my home. It couldn't be better. You're going to walk into your house and look in your closet with all your clothes that are out of date and kind of frumpy, but you're going to say, I love my clothes. They couldn't be better. You're going to go to your job, your work, and see the people that you work with, your boss, You're all those people. And you're going to say, I love my people. They couldn't be better. You're going to look at your body in the mirror, the body that God's given you. And you're going to say, I love my body. It couldn't. Really? You're going to look at your wife, your husband, your kids and say, I love my family. They couldn't be better. And you're going to celebrate and understand that the most grateful people in the world are coffee drinkers, because coffee drinkers illustrate every morning what true gratitude looks like, because they get up and they stumble. They can't even see, and they go downstairs or to the closest coffee shop, and they get a cup of coffee, which is one of God's greatest gifts, and they just sit holding it because it's like their own private little fireplace, and they just huddle in there, and they smell just the aroma of coffee, which is like, oh, Life can't get any better than this. And then they take their very first sip of coffee and they go, ah, because grateful people say, they look at their car and they go, ah, they look at their home and they go, ah, they look at their clothes that are out of date and they go, they look at their spouse when they wake up in the morning with all the mattress damage, be careful, and they say, They look at their body in the mirror and they go. (laughs) 
because thankful people want what they have. And that's what we do to build a heart of gratitude. We consciously are looking at what God's given us because everything is a gift from God. We don't want more. We want what we have. And we say, look at what God's given me. And we're constantly making a list of the things that God's given me and going, I want what I have. The first ingredient to having a thankful heart is to want what I have. The second thing is to be a contented person. And here's my working definition of contentment. Contentment is not wanting more, okay? And this is the way you can remember it, simple way. Who's more content, the man with five kids or the man with $50 million? And the obvious answer is the man with five kids because he doesn't want any more. Paul, in Philippians 4, he says, I have learned the secret of being content. No one is born content. He says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. And so it's a skill that we have to learn. And it's not based on circumstances. So for the next 30 days, marketeers are going to deliver advertisements and things online, you know, you're going to go on computers and it's just going to flash up there and there's catalogs and TV ads and it's one message. You need this. You didn't even know it existed and you need it. They're going to show you gadgets and you go, what is that? I, I need that. And you're going to say, you know, and you're just going to keep looking at things and go, I need it. So to be content, what you're going to do as you see advertisements on TV or on the computer, you are going to, with courage, look at it and say, I don't need it. Good. So let's just practice that right now, okay? You're going to see that new gadget. I'm into mountain bikes, so, you know, I look at a mountain bike, I, and so I'm going to say, I don't need it. Good. You're going to see that new car or truck that you want and the model draped across the hood, and you're going to say, I don't need it. You're going to see that perfect new dress or that wardrobe, and you're going to say, <laughs> you're going to see that new bathroom or that new addition to your kitchen or a new, you know, whatever thing in your house. And you're going to say, I, you're going to go play golf with your friend. And he's got the new golf, the new driver that's titanium, space alloy, whatever. And you're going to hit a ball 70 yards further than you've ever hit before, straighter and true. You're going to take that driver, hand it back to him and say, oh, I need that right now. I don't need it. The question is, if I took Lori and I took her for a day of unlimited shopping, would it make her happy? We'll never know. <laughs> but here's the point. During the month of December, have you noticed that the lottery hits the all-time high? It literally hits an all-time high in the month of December. Why? Because wanting is gone crazy. And you're going to be at a store, and they're going to go, want to buy a lottery ticket? And you're going to say... I don't need it because, and it'll be a billion dollars. And you go, because if I needed a billion dollars, my heavenly father would give me a billion dollars. But the reason why he hasn't given you a billion dollars is none of us would like you if you had a billion dollars and it would ruin your life. So he hasn't given it to you because God says, look at give thanks to the Lord. Look at what it says in Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So, you know the only thing that's going to save you for the next 35 days is if every day, every day you start and you make a list of 
six things for which you're grateful. And then you give voice to them during the day, two times during the day. Say, hey, you made my list today, or I'm grateful for you, or I'm grateful for this. And you just punch out what you're grateful for. Psalm 103, David models it. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord of my soul, and I will forget none of his benefits. And Psalm 103 is literally David's list of what he was grateful for that day. A professor at UC Davis, people couldn't sleep well, so they're trying to figure out how to help people sleep. They said, literally, if you just made a list every night of what you were grateful for, within three weeks, they reported longer and more refreshing sleep. During the holidays, you'll all watch the movie White Christmas. And Bing Crosby will remind you again of this truth. When I get tired and cannot sleep, I count my blessings instead of sheep. And I go to sleep counting my blessings. Just writing it down literally makes you sleep. So today is your last sane moment. Today's your last sane moment. And the reason what you got to remember is to give thanks to the Lord because he's good. Everything's not good, but God is good all the time, all the time. And we know that he's good because when we turned our back on him and we went our own way and we said, we want nothing to do with you, he still came, what we're going to celebrate at Christmas and invite our community to celebrate, that God didn't stay distant and far, but he loved us. And he came near to save us because he's good. And his faithful love endures forever. It doesn't just stop with that. But every day, even though we fall, even though we make mistakes, his love endures forever. And the way we're going to make it through is if we're grateful. Can we give it up for Kenton B. Shore for that great message? Come on. Thank you, Kenton. It was awesome. Hey, let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the power. Gratitude only comes through you. Thank you, Lord, that we can become a more grateful people, that you have made a way. Thank you that we can become more content in you. Father, I pray that as we live out the message, write down our six things, review them a couple times a day, that we would grow in gratitude. Father, I think I just love our church, and I love, God, how you're working here. I love how you're changing people's lives. Father, I love their generous hearts. We're able to reach more families, nine families dedicating their children to you. I love what you're doing in the youth. But it's because of people's generosity. Youth groups doubled, 100%. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in youth camps because the generosity of the people here sent them to camp. They made decisions for you, for Christ. Thank you, Father, that every Sunday and today we're feeding the homeless in San Bernardino. We're being the hands and feet of Jesus, but it's generosity giving that makes it possible. Thank you, Lord, that the orphanage that taps us from, we will share your generosity again with the world at Harare's Boys Home in St. Joseph's. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. We can make a difference in the city, the surrounding community, and the world. And your generosity is changing lives. Father, I pray that we would take heed to your word given and will be given to you. Father, that giving to you doesn't deplete our resources when we give it to you. 
Father, I pray that we would recognize that when we give to you, it pleases you. The gifts Paul said you sent were a a sweet-smelling sacrifice and pleasing to God. So thank you for that, Lord, that our gifts send to heaven delight in your heart. So may you stir our hearts to be more generous people. Lord, again, we thank you for the message this morning. Pray your blessing over Kenton and Lori. In Jesus' name, and everyone agreed, saying...